forms us. He's the one who, who made us. It, our life belongs to him. And so that for that, we understand that God made us. And in an argument with my grandpa one time, uh, we were arguing about being made and where I was in life, uh, considering muscle mass versus fat. And, uh, and I made a, a reference to the, to the point that God has made me this way. And my grandpa quickly said, God made you eight pounds. Eight pounds. Not the poundage that you are at today. We scientifically, we start and we learn things and we let those things shape us. And we would say things like, God has created us. He's a creator God. He's, it's an art and it is a science. Those things combined together form who we are today. Think about Michelangelo. You know, that great artist Michelangelo from the 1500s or so. Uh, he, he sculpted uh, a great statue named David. Are you familiar with this? Have you seen it? Anybody been there to look at this sculpture? Hey, there you go. We got one. So Michelangelo, uh, he sculpts this great marble statue of David. And when asked about it, how did you do this? He said, I got a big piece of marble and then chiseled away everything that was not a masterpiece. Chiseled away everything that was not a masterpiece. Believer, you know that God made you. Scientifically, he made you. You understand that. Biblically, theologically, you've come to that point that he made you. But my hope is that you would see that he is continuing to make you and chiseling you out into the masterpiece he desires for you to be. He does not stop making you. God has made you, and it will continue on throughout your life. I mean, do we really believe that God made us? And if we really believe that, then we should know that if he's our creator, then everything that we are belongs to him. Like the statue that Michelangelo made of, of David. We all know that that statue belongs to him. Though he is long gone from this earth, he still gets credit for making that statue. The iPhone that I carry around a lot, I know who created that. I know that Apple is the one who created the iPhone. And so because of that, I know that their registered trademark and all the things that go go into making their phone belong to them. And I don't give Samsung credit for any of it. And I surely don't give Nokia credit for any of my iPhone. I give Apple all the credit for my iPhone, for the goods and the bads. <laughs> those moments that I can say, God, it's so great. Apple did a really good job making this. And those moments where I say, I wish Apple would have done a better job at making this. So we look at life today and we say, we know that it was made by God and it belongs to him. Your life belongs to God. If God created you, it belongs to him. It does not belong to anyone else. So day one for Vacation Bible School, God made you. I hope that you remember that. Adults, students that are in here, Psalm 139, verse 14, I praise you for you are fearfully, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, made by God for God. God is for you is day two. It's the point number two. God is for you. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll get into verse 31. I think most of us would probably agree with this, that God is for us. We would see this in the fact that he gave up his son for us. We would back that up. We would say, uh, if someone made the statement, God is for you, we would probably back it up with a simple John 3.16. Obviously, because he gave up his son for us that we might have eternal life, he's for us. 
But let's see this from Romans 8.31. God is for us. Romans 8.31, starting in verse 31, says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we stop there for a moment, we've read this many times together already, but if we were to stop there for a moment, I'm sure you can think, I can think of a number of people who would be against me. If God is for me, and we're saying God of the Bible, the God of the, the Father of Jesus is for us, who can be against us? I know of a lot of people. I know some senators who are even against that. Verse 32, he, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? These, these verses, this, these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God, and as Paul writes them down, he's writing these things saying, God obviously is for us. He graciously gives us all things. We have to understand what those things are. And we're, we're thinking that the final point today will be about this abundant life that we talk about often. But we think sometimes these things that we're talking about are things that we can hold on to, things that we can grasp, things that we can eat, things that we can drive, things that we can wear. That's not necessarily what, what God is talking about here. Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, verse 37 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, for I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, those final words there of chapter 8 represent that God is for us. And how we need to be reminded of that as we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We remind ourselves that God has given up his son for us so that nothing could separate us from him. We oftentimes pray in our prayers. Uh, I've heard this among many believers, including myself. We often end our prayers with a simple statement. And Lord, forgive me of all the sins that I've, that I've committed. And we're saying that because we want to be forgiven. We know that we have sinned. We know that we have rebelled against God. But we say it over and over and over, trying to convince ourselves that we truly are forgiven. Because we might sin today and we think in that moment, will this sin separate me from God? Will this choice separate me from God? Point number two of VBS is God is for us, that he has given up his son for us so that no longer we would be separated from him, that no longer in the future or in the past would we be separated from God because he loves us so much that he's for us, that we could be reunited with him and be with him for forever. So God is for us. You have to remind yourself of that day, daily, not just in a, oh, I didn't get the food that I wanted, or I didn't get the things that I wanted, or I didn't get the applause that I wanted, or whatever the case may be. We aren't looking for those things, but we're being reminded that God wants us to be a part of Him forever, forever. Though this process of God being for us is not always easy. I mean, think back to David. We referenced him a few Sundays ago. David, before he faces the battle with the giant Goliath, 
He reminds Saul and those around him that as a wee young shepherd boy, he fought off lions and bears. Have you been in those moments that you wonder, is God really for me? Have you been in those moments where you're fighting a lion or you're fighting a bear? Maybe it's uh, reality. Maybe you're actually in the woods fighting a, a bear. And you think for that moment, is this God who I serve? Is he really for me? If he is, why doesn't he just make this bear die so that I don't have to fight it anymore? The process that we go through, the journey that we journey through, many times I believe that we believe this God is for us, but we're often uh, persuaded to believe otherwise. We often think, oh, is God really for me? We, we were watching a film, and one of our uh, children said, I, I wish we could just get to the end. Forget all this stuff in the middle, just get to the end. But the process of getting to the end is one of the most important processes of all time. That moment, those momentary moments that we're being pointed towards Christ and being reminded that God is for us, those are really, really significant times. You have to ask yourself, how will this moment impact me for eternity? How will this moment, fighting lions, fighting bears, whatever the case may be, how will this moment impact me for eternity? Well, if you forget that God is for you, whatever the struggle may be, the danger that Paul talks about rulers against you or angels against you or death against you or things present or things to come or powers or whatever it is, whatever those things that are that are coming against you that may try and persuade you to think that God is not for you, think for a moment and ask yourself, how will this moment impact me for eternity? It goes back to what we talked about last week, setting our vision and our mind towards the things to come, the end, putting, putting in view eternity, not just this momentary, this momentary moment. If David would have given up, if he would have been fighting the bear and gave up, if he had been fighting the lion and gave up, who knows how the story would go? There wouldn't be sports commentators talking about David and Goliath in a baseball game. There may not have been uh, books written about David and Goliath and millions being made off those or movies being made or whatever it is, all things material. But, but what would have happened if in the moment David would have forgotten that God was for him, that he would have battled against God instead of, instead of battling against the bear or battling against the lion? If he would have battled against God and said, yeah, God, are you really for me? Because if you were and make all kinds of statements that would go against what God is teaching us. So we have to remind ourselves, number one, that God made us. Number two, that God is for us. We cannot forget that. We can't misuse that either. Like I said, sometimes we, we think that, um, that, that in that, when we're saying that God is for us, uh, it's, it's for our, our benefit, for our, for our sake. That God is for me so that I can be the best me ever. That's kind of the, some of the stuff that's sold today. Uh, that God is for me, so because he's for me, I'm able to do these things for me. Because God is for me, I can take part in these things. We have to remember that God, who made us, made us for him, which we'll get to another point. But, but he made us, and he's for us, for his sake, so that we could know him more. The treasure is him. The treasure is his son, Jesus. The treasure is not measurable on this earth. Point three is this, that God is always with you. Joshua 1.9. If you wanted to turn there, you may have it memorized also. Joshua 1.9 says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and be courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
God is speaking to Joshua saying, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Be reminded daily that I'm with you everywhere that you go. Again, in our prayers, we often pray things like, Lord, be with. We say a lot of be with prayers. Lord, be with John. Lord, be with Gary. Lord, be with Mandy. Lord, be with Matt. Lord, be with my children. Lord, be with, be with, be with, be with, be with, be with. It just gets a lot of be withing. And in that, we, we have to be reminded, okay, what does the Bible say? Particularly for believers. Turn to John 14. So we can be reminded of this in a New Testament way by our Savior. John chapter 14, the words of Jesus. We'll start in verse 15. He's been chatting with his disciples. He's been talking about things to come. And the fact that Christ is going to exit the world that they are living in and be... um, and ascend into heaven, and so there's concern, there's worry. Like back in Joshua chapter 1, are are you going to leave us like orphans? Are you going to abandon us? Are you going to desert us? And it says this, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let me read that last part again. To be with you forever. I'll say it one more time. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Just verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So though Christ ascends into heaven and for a moment it seems like he's abandoning us, He is not. Instead, he has left us someone to be with us, another helper, another counselor, another one to be here with us. In fact, this particular counselor, this particular helper will live inside of us, will reside inside of us, which gives evidence to God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. So I'm not saying... I want you to change your prayers or be necessarily super overly guilty or convicted about saying, Lord, be with someone. But I want you to be reminded of what Scripture says, that if it is a believer who is following the commandments of the Lord, who has confessed Christ as Lord, the Lord is with them. So a prayer you might could pray would be something like, Lord, help them to acknowledge the fact that you are with them. That you have not abandoned them. It's one of the prayers I receive, or I, I give when when I receive a text or a call or about someone getting sick or a, a tra- trauma happening in someone's family, a traumatic moment. Lord, in this moment, as things are crazy, Lord, in this moment, as anxiety is rising up, Lord, in this moment of despair, would you help them to be reminded that you are with them? That they don't have to search. That you are with them. Believer, I mean, I would hope that that maybe you would begin doing that too if you're not already. Help them to acknowledge the fact that you have not abandoned them. That if they've confessed Christ as Lord, nothing has separated them from you. And for because of that fact, help them to acknowledge that you are with them. God, assist us in acknowledging that you have not abandoned us. Have you ever been abandoned before? 
Have you ever been in a store, maybe as a child, and you look around and your mom and your daddy's gone? Or maybe you've been at the house and uh, you, you look around and you're like, I'm the only one here. Where did, where did everyone go? I remember fifth grade. Uh, I said something to my, my folks. Um, they were, um, they were wanting to go in a, to a particular event that I didn't want to be a part of. And I said that those things were, um, in, in a sense, dumb and I didn't want to be a part of it. And I said, that's fine. You don't have to be a part of it. And they started backing out the driveway, the long drive. It felt like miles long. And I remember watching them thinking, they're seriously not going to leave me, leave me here by myself. And as they backed out into the street to leave, I felt the moment of abandonment and started crying and weeping. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. And I'm running to the truck like Forrest Gump. Don't leave me. My dad stops, rolls down the window and says, have you changed your mind? Yeah, I don't want to be left alone. I don't want to be left alone. We still, till today, even as adults, I know you have those moments. I don't want to face life alone. And that is why Christ has said, trust in me and the way, the truth, the life. And in fact, I'm going to give you life abundantly, a full life, and I will never leave you. I'll read that verse again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not for a moment, but for eternity. What a great God we have that would make us, that would be for us, and that would never leave us. We have to be reminded of that, I think. Even as adults, we have to remind ourselves daily that God has made us for his sake. He is for us so that we could know him more. And he will never leave us if we've confessed Him as, confessed his son as Lord. Point four is this, that God will always love you. Not like a country song. Not like a song that's in a movie. I will always love you until the end, whatever. But God's love is forever. It's not a moment. I think that's another point that even as adults that we forget because we've experienced momentary love. And so because of that, sometimes we relate God's love to a moment, that he only loves us for a moment. If God created you, and if he's for you, and if he's not going to abandon you, then he must love you forever. Psalm 89 verse 2 says, For I have said, steadfast love will be built up forever. Not, not, don't even try and uh, symbolize it to something on this earth that you've seen that's been standing for a long time. Don't try and measure it with love that you know or relationships that you've seen that have seemed like forever. But instead, only measure it to God's love, that he will love you forever. I mean, think back to the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I mean, a story of someone who goes off and wastes their life, it seems. Spends everything that's been given to them. Lives a wasteful, momentary life. And yet comes back and the father receives them with, receives him with open arms. I've never stopped loving you. I've always loved you. I think this is where we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's a moment in there, I think it's verse 4, that, um, that, that, Timothy, uh, that Paul writes to Timothy saying, God desires that none should perish, that all would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a moment of saying, I love you and I will always love you. I know that's very simple, but how often have you forgot it? 
It's a moment where we stand in awe of God. And we say, despite of who I am, you love me always. Despite of what I've done or what I'm going to do, you love me always. If you've confessed Christ as Lord and received forgiveness of your sins, you cannot be separated from God. And his love will always be there. I think it's important for us to remember that. So point one is, you know, God made you. Point two is God is for you. God is always with you. Point four is God will always love you. And point five is God made you for a reason. God made you for a reason. I'm going to point back to Ephesians chapter 2. I know we just ended our study on Ephesians, but we got to go back to it for a moment here. That God has made you for a reason. If you are in this room this morning, if you are still on this earth, if you're listening to a recorded message and you're hearing this, still God made you for a reason. And your existence on this earth is not over yet. Your reason for being here is not over yet. And ultimately, Ephesians chapter 2 says, your reason for existence is to show others who Christ is so that they can have reason for existence. As we prayed yesterday for one of our church members who's sick, as we pray and we say, God, we're trusting that you're going to heal because we know that you can. God, we're, we're thankful for today and that you gave us life today. And we're thankful that we can trust in the hope that we have for tomorrow. Whether it's on this earth or with you in heaven, we can still trust in tomorrow. And we know that you've given us reason for existence. We don't have to just live, but instead we can live a life to the fullest because of what Christ has done for us and because of what Christ is doing for us and because of what Christ is going to do for us. We have reason to live. Some of you are like, oh, I know, I know. And, and for a time... I, I really lived in that. I knew that I had reason to live. But now I'm at an age that, uh, that those things that I was created for are no longer, and it's someone else's responsibility. If that were the case, I believe God would have taken you to heaven already. But if you are here, you still have reason for existence. You still have reason to give testimony to who God is. You still have reason to show other people that God is love, a forever love, that God is a God who creates on purpose for a purpose. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget that. First Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the, the, the time there that Paul is telling the church in Corinth that they have been made representatives ambassadors for Christ. They should see that the love of Christ should control them or compel them to live no longer for themselves because that's not why Christ died for them. Christ did not die and conquer death and defeat sin forever so that we could live for ourselves. He did those things so that we could live for him forever. And when we miss that, we create our life and a, create a journey for ourselves, for our own selfish ways, we've missed what God has desired for us. John 10.10. John 10. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We recognize that. We know. We can point out moments where we say, you know, that's the thief coming to steal and to kill and destroy. And the Son of Man has come to give life and give it to the full or give life abundantly. Some of us think that means that a full, means a full schedule. 
Like Christ has died on the cross so that I can have a full schedule so that I can remain busy doing good things. And so, Lord, help me to live the life full, uh, with a full schedule doing really, really good things. But that's not necessarily what God has created you for, just to do good things. Some of us think the full life means that our life is full of things, that we have a number of measurable things. We could say, God has given me these things and I can hold them, I can wear them, I can eat them, I can hold hands with them, whatever it is, he's given me these things. So that must be what the life abundantly means. I mean, throughout Scripture, we're seeing from, from Genesis to Revelation, we're seeing that the whole point is us being in right relationship with God, the Creator, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like, that's the full life. When we come and we say, God, you have made me. You have made me for you so that I could be with you forever, not just for a moment, but forever. And so the life abundant must be, the life full must be when you've given meaning to my life. Meaning not just for a moment, but meaning for forever. How we miss that so often. How we think the abundant life is a full life in this moment. The abundant life is a full life forever in right relationship with Jesus. So my hope is this week that we would have some kids that would hear that and respond to that. That they would see their need for for Jesus. They would see their need for life and life abundantly. My hope this morning is this, is that believer, church member, one who's confessed Christ as Lord, I hope that you're not saying, man, I have been in church too long. I know these things all too well. I've been in church too long. That's, that's just a refresher. Oh my goodness. I wish this pastor or whatever he is would have preached something differently. My hope is this, that because we have a living and active God who has not abandoned us, that this morning he would have taught you something as well and that you would have a moment to respond. That you would have a moment to say, I have forgotten that I've been created with a purpose and that I do have reason for existence. That he loves me, that he has not abandoned me, that he is with me forever. Not just when I was seven and I confessed him as Savior, but he has been with me forever and will continue to be with me forever. I've been created for a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose, forever. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning.